Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, including five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Christine, and welcome, Rebecca. Hi again. Hi, good evening. We were just together last night. Yes, with Ellen Everett Hopman. Yeah, that was a really good teleseminar. Oh oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. yes. To be be receiving such wonderful information from a druid and someone who is so serious about her druidic magical studies. And that wonderful pairing mm-hmm. of the willow and the deer. And, of course, for us, because the deer has been hanging out by the willow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just uh, such beautiful, gentle medicine. 
I've been working with it some myself over the last couple of years because they cut down a willow, willow tree in our neighborhood, and so I got to uh, take a bunch of limbs, and I made, like, a bunch of topical ointment with it, and it's just, it's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful medicine, and um, I did make some tincture and stuff with it as well, but, yeah, I really enjoyed hearing her talk last night, both of you talk last night, yeah. Well, that's wonderful that you had an opportunity to make some willow remedies and that you found. So you used the um, inner bark to make uh, to put up an oil for topical remedies. Yeah, yeah, I did. And um, it's just, it's, it's, I've had some really good reviews from people that have used it as well, but um, it's very pain relieving and anti-inflammatory, but uh, it also smells amazing. It has like a very unique smell to it and it's yeah it smells really good and it's just gentle and just like just what she was saying about the deer too being like a, just a very gentle medicine and uh, yes. what else did she say last yeah yep. Gretchen Gould uses Philip Pendula also a rose family plant willow isn't but we were talking about spirea and the rose family plants have, mm-hmm. have more of the salicin than the willow does. Mm-hmm. And Gretchen said that when you're putting philopendula on a sore area, you have to be careful because it's so numbing that sometimes you can't feel the area for a while. Uh, I'll have to work with that a little bit, see if I can yeah. find it. <laughs> the plant that I've worked with. <laughs> So that's mm. exciting. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this evening, Peggy Ayers, the author of Ancient Spirit Rising, is going to join us for a provocative and informative discussion on white privilege, cultural appropriation, and modern spirituality consumerism. Mm. She's going to tell us how not to fall into those traps. And that'll be at 9 o'clock, our time out here on the East Coast. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that interview. It's just uh, so of the times. It seems like everybody is being accused of cultural appropriation these days. So, <clears throat> Yes, one of the questions that really caught my eye um, was how does cultural exchange different from cultural appropriation? Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. That's very. Yeah. Very so, important so. distinction for us to understand. Mhm. For sure. So, stay right. tuned to listen in. I'm excited to hear what she has to say. Mhm. 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 And um, what else? We had a great time with the great remedies on Saturday. We went out to the field of mint that I have, and a few of us uh, threw ourselves into the wet drainage where the mint likes to grow, <laughs> and we harvested enough for everybody to make some mint vinegar to take home. Mm. That's always a fun thing to have. I talked to them about watermelon soup. Mm. Yeah. And how, even though it would seem obvious that you would eat watermelon raw, 
you're not going to pick up any nutrition from eating raw watermelon. But you can freeze it, or you can make watermelon soup, which is basically just watermelon chunked up, and seedless cucumber or seeded cucumber, thinly sliced. And then it marinates overnight in equal parts mint, vinegar, and olive oil with some salt. And that Mm. liquid, of course, the salt helps draw the vitamins and minerals out of the watermelon and into the juice. And the juice becomes as red as tomato paste. You can okay. see the lycopene and the and yeah. the lutein and that all of those important carotenes have now been activated and are ready to be used by your body, whereas your body can't use them in the raw watermelon. Yeah, that sounds good. I don't know if my kids would like it as much as the raw watermelon, but <laughs> it sounds Bet good they for would. me. Bet they would. Yeah. Yep. I'll try it because I have a whole watermelon that needs to be eaten in my in my kitchen right now. That's wonderful. Of course, on my Healthy Life show, I had to admit that although we are all attracted to the to the, you know, juicy part of the watermelon, the medicinal part is the seeds and the rind. Mhm. And I grew up eating watermelon pickle, but I don't necessarily think of it as a health food. So far as I know, it was just watermelon rind that was boiled in white sugar and water. Mhm. And maybe seasoned up a little sure, bit. Sure, there's a way them that would be really good too. Let's exp- maybe experiment with that. Yes, I'm sure someone could find a way to make a healthier watermelon rind pickle because it is a very healthy mm-hmm. food. I don't know if lacto ferment that would be interesting. Would be interesting. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I'll let you know if I do it. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hmm. So shall well, we go to questions? Well, would you like to uh, go? Interested. Oh, go ahead. What's that? Should we go ahead with questions, or do you have something else that's keeping you busy and interested that we should talk about? Oh, I have just been doing you know, lots of kids stuff and making my own remedies and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, staying busy over here. Yes, but indeed. It is the time of the year when the the most, the biggest difficulty is deciding which, which thing to do first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sean, Sean came through and said that was wonderful. You know, he's moved to Hawaii. And while we were sitting and talking, um, we were sitting by the the little swing bench by the pond, and there's a little patch of hypericum there. So I was picking that day's flowers. I made the tiniest little itsy-bitsy bit of hypericum flower tincture from just the flowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is different with just the flowers, isn't it, mm-hmm. than doing the leaves, the, the flowering tops. It all works, but it's fun if you have a patch where you can just pick blossoms. Mhm. Um. Yeah, 
I have been having, I wanted to ask you just a little bit about uh, my own like moon cycle just um, because it's been like fluctuating a whole bunch and like somebody was like, oh, you know, it's, it's probably due to stress, but, and you know, I'm only 37 and um, it's like it will like last month I only had for one day, but like a bunch of spotting leading up to it. And then now it comes, and then this month it came on super strong, but for like months prior to that, it'll just like be um, like starting and stopping. And then, and I've always been like really regular. And so, but it's just like, I find that it's just like drawing out and it's like taking so much of my energy and, (laughs) and, um, Anybody I ask about it that's, like, gone through, like, menopause and stuff, like, I mean, it just sounds like it's so different for everybody. But um, I was just curious, like, if you have any reflection on that. Well, I'd like to set the scene first because I think it's Mm -hmm. fascinating and because the information is so little known. Human women Mm -hmm. make three different types of estrogen. We start making 29 kinds of estrogen in utero, just about halfway through. In about 20 weeks, we start making 29 kinds of estrogen. And we continue to make those 29 kinds of estrogen every single day of our lives, no matter how young or old we are. At puberty, mm-hmm. the 30th estrogen starts being made. And its name is estradiol or estradiol. And it is a very potent estrogen. It is so potent as an estrogen that it gets called estrogen and the other 29 are swept aside. We've actually heard the names of some of the other 29. Estrone is one of them and estrace is one of them. So this estradiol is responsible for ovulation. And it doesn't take long to ovulate. So we don't need very much estradiol, and we don't need to make it for very long at all. In fact, the less estradiol we make over the course of our lifetime, the less breast cancer we will have, and probably the longer we'll live. So estradiol gets turned on at puberty and it turns off at menopause. But it's not like those are calendar dates. It's not like, okay, bing, you're 15, estradiol gets turned on, bing, you're 50, estradiol gets turned off. In fact, as we know, both of those events, puberty and menopause, which I call puberty prime, actually occur over about a 10-year period. Mm-hmm. And so the very opening moves in both puberty and menopause can be rather subtle. And exactly when the beginning of that decade of menopause is, as you said so truly, is going to vary enormously from woman to woman. But for most women, estradiol production starts around your mid-teen years and increases every month until your mid-twenties. And for most women, by the time they're in their late twenties or early thirties, they're already making less estradiol each month. For Mm -hmm. some women, that is a long, slow taper-off, 
and it might take another 20 or 25 years before it tapers off completely. For other women, that's a much steeper slant, and it might, in fact, starting in your mid-30s, have you completely menstruation-free by your mid-40s. Wow, yeah. So my take on it is so long as you're eating a healthy diet, in other words, you're not eating the kind of diet that would cause you to lose your menses or to have erratic menses, which would be a a diet which has no meat or a diet only of raw food, you know, those kinds of diets. Um, As long as you're, you know, not injuring yourself that way, as long as you don't think that you have a brain tumor, which can also cause changes in your hormones, then I don't Mm. think that it's cause for alarm. Okay. Yeah. It's just changing and every month it's so different and it's like, oh, like, <laughs> is this really what it's starting already? And because like most of my friends that have gone through it are like, you know, much older than me, at least 10 years older than me. So, um, yeah. So I was just like, it seems they're like, you're so young, you know, but I'm like, <laughs> but I'm experiencing this, and then it must be stress, and I'm like, I'm no more stressed out than, you know, I'm busy, but I'm not, like, more stressed out than I've ever been any other time in my life, so. <laughs> I was thinking, too, like, I, I don't know that she's under any more stress, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mother actually, young, you know. And it's always under not stress, right? Stress, you know, like, have, you know, my kids are kind of becoming less uh, needy of my, you know, it's just different. I don't have toddlers right now or a baby. So, yeah, everything's changing, but it's not that I'm more yep. stressed out. So. <laughs> everything's always changing, right? Changing, ever-changing. Okay. Well, thank you. I just uh, I appreciate hearing, hearing from you. Yes, absolutely. And we will move. Of course, if a woman is saying, oh, no, I think I'm going into, you know, the beginning part of menopause and I really want to get pregnant, I really want to have babies, I see Vitex as the herb that turns the clock back. Yeah, and that's not me. I'm I'm fully happy with having two children. It's almost, you know, (laughs) yeah, so no, no more babies. I did not think that was you. (laughs) Yeah. For everyone else. <laughs> for anyone else. And for you, if it yeah. becomes so bothersome that you say, I just want to use some Vitex and see if I can just even this out. Mm-hmm. There's certainly nothing wrong with Yeah, I was that. wondering because it, I feel like it will take like it's like a, because I'll be spotting for days and I'm like, should I do, is there something that I could do to quicken the, the process of like the menses like coming on faster. The but same kinds of things that you do to bring a birth on. Right. Yeah. Like I mean, I have, I have uh, like, like penny royal tincture and um, that kind of thing. Was that something that you would that you, you would have to suggest start with to take? Ginger tea. Ginger tea. Okay. Penny royal is pretty. It's uh, pretty strong, huh? Pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. All right. If you have a question for Susan, make sure to press 1 to put your call into the queue. 
And our first caller is coming from the 718 area code. Hi, Susan. Hello. So it's kind of on the same topic as Rebecca was just talking about. I didn't get my um, my cycle this uh, last month, so today's already um, almost you know day fifty one, and but I feel the symptoms of it, like you know the cramping that comes with it, and I literally feel like every day I'm getting it, but it doesn't happen. And I was like thinking if there was an herb that would help just. Um, like process, I'm not sure what's going on with my body. I'm in my, I'm 35. So I was listening to what you were telling Rebecca about the timing. And I'm just wondering, does that also make sense to get symptoms of having a cycle, just not having it? Is that a possibility? Anything is possible. Okay. I certainly don't in any way doubt what you're saying. Um, What can happen, of course, is because we ovulate from the right side one month and then from the left side the next month, Mm -hmm. that occasionally there isn't enough estradiol produced or there's some glitch and we don't actually ovulate. And so because we haven't actually ovulated, the hormones that would cause the endometrium to grow aren't present. So you can't menstruate because you haven't actually Mm -hmm. ovulated. But the other hormones might be there and might give you that sense of, oh, I'm about to. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Should I just wait and see what happens? Or is there an herb to um, help me with it, like to process it? I suspect that you will have a normal period at the time at which you would have had a period and that you've just skipped to that one. Okay. Okay. I'm just having like breast tenderness that's not going away. So that's, that's one of the things that I find when I get my period, it alleviates that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Are you drinking your nourishing herbal infusions? Yes. Yes, I am. Good, because nettle seems to help a lot with that. Yes, I actually increased the nettle because of the allergies, and I'm glad to say that I've not been sneezing too often, and I've been really... Oh, hooray! Yeah, yeah. So thank you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The other thing, of course, I would be incredibly negligent if I did not at least point out to you that these are also symptoms of pregnancy. hmm So I... You know, I thought about that, but it's not, it's not that, so. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> okay, I thank you. Yes. <laughs> if you hung up and I went, uh, Susan, you know, <laughs> maybe she doesn't know that those are all the symptoms of bringing it It's hard to know over the phone. So right. I actually counseled a woman for months and months and months who was having real fertility difficulties, and it took me way too long to figure out that she did not know that the way to get pregnant was to have intercourse. Mm. Well, yep. Sometimes you really got to cover the basics. Mhm. Mhm. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that, though. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you're certainly w- welcome to call back if you don't have a normal period or if this continues to bother you. Okay, I appreciate that. Thanks so much. Have a have a great evening. 
You too. Bye-bye. Bye. The next caller is coming from the 907 area code. Hello, Susan. Hi. Hi, I have two questions um, about plants. Um, one is comfrey and the other one's about, well, St. Jones oil. I Last year I grew some comfrey by seed. I don't know. Somebody gave me the seeds, and they, it came up this year really fast. And matured really fast, and the flowers are like a deep, deep purple. And I was wondering, what species is that? I didn't think they came in that color. Any comfrey that grows from seed is not safe to use medicinally. Wow. I've been seeing comfrey and I am so unhappy about it. So you wouldn't even use that in like an oil? Sure. I wouldn't grow it. I wouldn't have it around. Okay. Okay. I would get and a I nice have a plant. We'd get a nice piece of cultivated comfrey root from somebody who grows it from a plant that doesn't set any seeds. Because if that grew from a seed, that means that every flower is going to throw off a seed that will grow more comfrey, and soon there will be nothing left but a comfrey patch. Okay. Well, I do have, last year a woman gave me a comfrey plant, and that the flowers on that one are a light pink. And usually the so, flowers two plants look quite different, too, like the... Pink ones look kind of bell-shaped, and the other ones look more starry, more like a borage flower. Yes, kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the purple, is it, it's beautiful. <laughs> but, I, yeah, I was really surprised to see the color of that. The cultivated comfrey can have purplish flowers, but not really dark purple. No, these are dark. These are like violet. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, okay, I will take that one out. Um, <laughs> my second question, um, is it okay to use St. Joan's oil long-term? I've used it virtually daily for every day of the summer and sometimes during the winter if I'm in Costa Rica for about 30 years. Does that count as long term? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it, it seems to me all the different oils that I've tried, you know, um, CBD, St. Joan seems to have done the trick with my sternum. I just have like two spots. You know that when my um, ribs connect to the sternum, that are just a little sore. But the sternum itself, and all the other pain that I was going through, is is gone. Ah, oh, hurrah! Yeah, and it was you know using the seatbelt meditation that you told me about, and uh, using Saint John's Lord. She was certainly one of the great remedies we talked about on Saturday. 
Excuse me, your phone, I think, is... Could, could you repeat that? Yes, I said that hypericum was one of, the, one of the great remedies we talked about in class on Saturday. Oh, okay. Yeah, I love it. I wish it grew up here. Where do you live? I, I live on the Kenai Peninsula in Alaska. Aha, uh-huh. so it doesn't get that far north. Excuse, oh, this phone. I don't know if it's your phone or my phone. It's like bubbly. Yeah. I've <laughs> seen it. I have seen it quite far north in both um, Quebec and Ontario. Oh, okay. It love it, it so, will grow in, in pretty extreme north places. As a matter of fact, it's the heat it doesn't like. Once you get down to about northern Virginia, it becomes very scarce. So how would that grow? Would I buy, get a plant or? That grows very, very nicely from seed. And of course, you could get a plant. It's not a true perennial. Okay. It's usually a, a three-year perennial. So if you get a plant, it'll have flowers maybe the first year, certainly the second year and the third year. And then it has said enough seeds that it kind of leaves and lets its children have the space. Oh, okay. Okay. So I it, tends, one other to, thing I so it to... tends to move around. It's not a plant that you can easily cultivate because it doesn't That's... like to stay in the same place. It likes to move. That's Okay. That's fine. <laughs> um, I'd like to share a story of the dandelion, uh, uh, dandelion in Alaska. <laughs> um, oh, about 10, 15 years ago, they were paying people to pull up dandelion. They were giving people 250 a pound, and they were going to keep dandelion out of the Kenai Peninsula. Well, dandelion, <laughs> that is an impossible feat. The Kenai now is like totally dandelion. It's a sea of yellow. The flowers are like two feet high. It's just amazing. And there are people that hate it. They detest the dandelion. They're like obsessed with it. But I love it. There's also a lot of people that are doing a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff with dandelion. So I just thought that was an interesting story about Yes. I was just talking to <laughs> Peter Gale's daughter at the International Herb Symposium. And Peter Gale was a, a professor at a college, and he was interested in wild food. And he said to people, oh, you know, send me your wild food recipes. And he looked them over, and, like, most of them were recipes for dandelion. And so he started having a yearly dandelion cook-off where people would come from all over and make the best dandelion dishes. And he published several dandelion cookbooks from And He had been interested, he said, in all wild foods until he got involved with dandelion. And he, then he said he lost interest in anything except dandelion. <laughs> and his product, he's now dead, but his product still goes on, which is called Dandy Blend. It's a coffee substitute. It's very delicious, and it's mostly dandelion. Would you harvest the root for your uh, tea, dandelion tea, now or in the fall? Dandelion is the world's most generous plant. 
any part of the dandelion, harvested any day of the year, will make an excellent herbal medicine. Beautiful. Are there differences in what's in the root now and what's in the root in the fall? Of course. And if one wants to become allies with dandelion, then you would take the time, spend the time with dandelion to have an idea of how that would be different. One thing we could know just by thinking about it is that as the summer comes to an end and as winter starts to draw nigh, roots, perennial roots, are going to start making carbohydrates, sugar starches. And so a fall-dug root is going to have more sugar starch. A fall-dug burdock or dandelion or yellow dock will have more inulin. It'll have more white precipitate in your vinegar or your tincture. Whereas the spring-dug root, much of that carbohydrate will be used up by the plant over the wintertime and to get started growing in the spring. And so although there might be, we might say, the same amount of alkaloids, which the plant would have produced to protect itself over the winter, that amount is going to actually constitute a greater percentage of the plant because there's less carbohydrate there. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you taste the spring dandelion leaves, which many people go on and on about, and I find just so bitter that they're totally unpalatable. And as the spring goes on, and after the dandelion flowers, the leaves start to taste a little better. And by the time we get to late summer, the leaves are actually starting to taste sweet because of the amount of carbohydrate that the plant is sequestering. Now, what I've just said is somewhat generally true for all plants that are perennials. But it begins to give us a sense of um, what a devoted relationship with a plant like dandelion can get for us. Right. Right. One of my apprentices made a motherwort tincture every week. As the plant continued to push up and up and up and open more and more and more flowers, and not that she used the same plant, but we have lots of motherwort around. And so she wound up with like, you know, 10 different motherwort tinctures and was able to say that the beginning, when it's just starting to flower, has more activity in the uterus. And when it's way up and just at the end of its flowering, that has more cardiac activity. Oh, that's. Fascinating. Hmm. I'm going to do that. I'm going to experiment. <laughs> okay, great. So, Sounds good to me. Yep. Thank you very much, Susan. You're welcome. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 919 area code. Hello. Hi. Hi, Susan. Hello. Um, Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, sorry. Um, I have a question. Um, If I run out of infusion on a hot day, I live on a farm, and I share my infusion with my family, and it happens to me somewhat regularly that one day I won't have um, 
enough to make it. What's the second best for hydration? Um, can I do what I typically do is do some like some herbal vinegar that I've made, um, like a teeny bit of salt and maybe like a little tiny dab of um, maple or something, honey. Um, what would you say? What would I say? I would say make more infusion. I didn't say that. <laughs> I had a lot of people here this weekend. I wasn't sure we would have enough infusion. So in addition to making three gallons of linden infusion, then we rebrew a gallon and a half. I also set up a quart of hibiscus with an ounce of dried hibiscus and that quart of boiling water. And then I dilute that back. That'll give me oh, at least two, if not three, quarts of um, hibiscus infusion to drink. And it stays well for about a week. It doesn't have any protein in it. Hibiscus turns out to be a really important cardiac plant. And so it's nice to have as a kind of fallback on summer days when you might drink extra infusion and there's some hibiscus to drink. Okay. Okay. I can I, I, can per- I personally do not think it's a good idea to drink vinegar. Oh really? Just like a teeny bit? <laughs> What's the point of drinking vinegar? I don't know. I figured it had all those good minerals and it tastes Wait a second. Have you ever bought (laughs) apple juice at the store? Uh Huh? Yeah. And have you read the nutrition label on apple juice? Uh, Yeah, I guess. I think so. Yeah, it doesn't have any. So what minerals are are in apple juice? Yeah, it wouldn't have any. But I mean, apple I, juice has no minerals, and neither does apple cider vinegar, which is made of apple juice. Zero minerals, zero vitamins. But zero. what if I may use an herbal vinegar that I made, you know, like one of my like lemon balm vinegar or something like that? Okay, it's so now, you, now you're getting a little minerals because you put herbs in it. But we were talking about vinegar. Yeah. Vinegar is not nutritious. Gotcha. And there aren't minerals in vinegar. So I would say if you were going to have lemon balm, why not just have lemon balm in your water? And just why add, okay. Have lemon balm vinegar in the water. That's what I'm saying. Most people uh-huh. don't benefit from drinking vinegar. Right. I love my herbal vinegars on my salads. I love them on my cooked greens. But I don't drink them. Okay. And I have a shelf over 10 feet long with herbal vinegars, and I don't ever drink them. Okay. Some people think that drinking vinegar alkalinizes the body. But the fact of the matter is that the acid-alkaline balance of the blood is so important to our being alive that the parathyroid glands, two glands, the parathyroid glands, test the acid-alkaline balance of the blood every few seconds and don't let it vary. 
So it's not that anything we eat can really acidify or alkalinize our blood. Does that help? Yeah, absolutely. Good. Let's just say you were stuck on a desert island. <laughs> but, you know, it's just kind of my habit, and I know I need to change it and just make more. But if you had nothing else, what would you, like, you know, and you're really thirsty. Yes, like, I would have to bite my arm and suck my blood. What? Okay, you just want drink. Okay. <laughs> All right, that sounds good. All right. Yeah, um, make make more infusion. It's okay to make more infusion. Okay. <laughs> I gotta get another jug. Ah <laughs> uh-huh. ha. Okay. So you yeah. you don't use uh, quart jars. Well, I'm, I try to, I do kind of what you do, and I make a gallon at a time. Uh-huh. And I just, because my family are not regular about how much they drink, it's hard for me to schedule it. And I'm running in, like, you know, like, so that I have enough. And maybe I'll run out in the middle of the day, and we're in North Carolina, and it's like, a, you know, 90 degrees, and I work mm-hmm. outside. So uh-huh. I drink a lot, and I might run out in the middle of the day. Then I'm just drinking so water. So I'm trying to work perfect for you then. Yeah, that's a good idea. Hmm? I can have that on standby and while I get. You my also neck. might want to give up thinking that you have to make your infusions the same time every day. Oh yeah, I don't. No, I make it whenever I can. So like when I run out, you run out, you yeah. could always make more. That's what I totally do, but in the four hours that I'm waiting, you know, I sometimes drink it oh, then warm. You ha- then you have not acted soon enough. You can see when you're going to run out. You don't wait until you have run out. Yeah, no, that's true. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, so don't, wait until it's, don't wait until you run out. Do it before. Okay. All okay. right, all right. That's good. Thanks for problem solving with me. <laughs> you are welcome. Okay, thanks, Susan. Have a good night. <laughs> you too. Green blessings. Blessing. The next caller is coming from the 828 area code. Hello? Hi. Hi. So I have a bit of a head cold, so I hope you can hear me. I can. Great. So I have um, struggled with insomnia, and so this is what my question is about. Um, since I was a little kid and it basically stemmed from, you know, I grew up in a very safe home, um, but it stemmed from something very frightening that happened to me when I was about five or six years old. And at that time I trained myself to not sleep because I felt very unsafe, um, not sleeping and so since then, you felt unsafe when you would go to sleep. Yeah, I felt very unsafe. I went through probably a year period where I really didn't sleep. I forced myself to stay awake. I kind of trained my ears to listen, um, to kind of listen for threats because of this this thing that had happened to me that was very frightening to me. I completely so now, understand that your experience was that you didn't sleep. 
However, when we study people who say that they don't sleep, it's not true. Right. I've heard that. Because you would be dead if you hadn't slept. Right. I probably slept a little bit. You're right. You do. You definitely, definitely slept. Yes. So I think it's important to establish that, that you did not go a year without sleeping. Oh, no. No, I didn't mean to say that. I went a whole year without sleeping. But I definitely, um, you know, basically forced myself to stay awake as much as possible during that year. Um, so I'm now, thought, you know, fast, fast forward about 31, 32 years, I am still in a very safe place. I don't have fear during my day. However, I really struggle with insomnia. I am an incredibly light sleeper. It's like I still am in this training of not feeling safe, even though, you know, on one level I feel very safe, but it's like deep down there's still this imprint of not feeling safe. And it is a huge struggle in my life. I really, you know, insomnia and not sleeping obviously really affects your day-to-day life in major ways. And I've tried a lot of things. I've tried a lot of different herbal remedies. I've tried meditation. It's not clear what you mean it affects your day-to-day life. You mean what does not sleeping do to affect your day-to-day life? You do sleep. You do sleep. Okay. Uh-huh. No one goes without sleep. It's impossible. Uh-huh. You sleep. Right. You don't know you um, sleep. You are unconscious of your sleeping. As far as you're concerned, you're up all the time, but you're not. You're actually sleeping. And okay, you may not be me... sleeping as much as you think you need to sleep, but you are sleeping the amount that your body, the bare minimum that your body needs. And it's important to me that we start from there. Okay. Because if you don't sleep, then we have this huge chasm that we somehow have to leap. But if you're already sleeping, then we can simply find out what it is that brings that sleep and see if you can make more of that. Uh Uh-huh. Many people who tell me that they have insomnia and don't sleep admit to falling asleep in a chair and then waking up and going to bed. Uh-huh. Does that happen to you? No. No, I'm not I'm not very good at falling asleep. It often takes me a long time and I don't really nap or like fall asleep. Mhm. Um, mm-hmm. In a chair. Well, what I'm saying is that people who are really sleep deprived and exhausted will fall asleep in a comfortable chair more uh-huh. easily than they fall asleep in a bed. I'm not okay. talking about a nap. I'm talking about falling asleep. Right. Which you do numerous times every night and sometimes, you know, when it's not night, but for sure every night you fall asleep numerous times. Right. Okay. Um. So what you're asking is how can you do that more often and how can you go back to, back to sleep once you wake up or how can you not wake up so much? Right. Is the place where you sleep cold? 
Um, no. The colder the place where you're sleeping is, the deeper your sleep will be, and the less likely it is that you will wake up, and the faster you will go to sleep. Hmm. Okay. So see what you can do. Air conditioning, fan, whatever you need. See if you can bring the temperature of the room down so that Uh it actually feels a little chilly to you. Okay. For most people looking at electronic devices triggers activity in the brain that can interfere with easy falling asleep. Right. So you put your electronic devices away how long before you want to go to sleep? Oh, pretty far in advance. I definitely learned that trick a little while ago. Um, So I'd say about two hours probably before bed. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Most studies are recommending three or four. Two is certainly a good start. Mm -hmm. You you can move your screen time up to the beginning of the day and not have it at the end of the day. Mm. Okay. I do have an office job, so there's, of course, at least a 5 p.m. cutoff, but that that gives me still a little bit of time. I was going to say that should be quite a while before your bedtime, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. fair enough. It's definitely at least four hours. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Many people find that milk, hot milk, especially with cocoa powder in it, is a tremendous sleep aid. Uh-huh. And, of course, there's a variety of herbs that are known as soporific herbs or sleep-inducing herbs. Which of those have you worked with? Oh, gosh. Um well, there's valerian, I've tried skullcap, I've tried hops, I've tried mm-hmm. chamomile. And Tell me about how you've used valerian. Um, I've used it as a tincture that I've made myself. Um, mm-hmm. And what and, part of the, the valerian? Um, that's a good question. I forget. I bought it from Mountain Rose. And well, I'm I'm sorry, it was you made it yourself? Yes. You made it yourself, or you bought it from Mountain Rose? I bought the uh, the dried the dried plant from Mountain oh. Rose, and then made it oh. myself from that. I see. Okay. Well, I would not think that that would work at all. Did it? Um, no. But I've also no. Tried I would. I would be very surprised if that had any effect at all. Valerian is very easy to grow. I generally don't like valerian as a sleep-inducing herb. It's kind of like saying I can get you to go to sleep by hitting you on the head with a hammer. Hmm. Very um, slamming to the body and the brain. And many people have bad hangovers from it. And um, about 15-20% of the population is stimulated by it. Right. So, if valerian is going to be an ally for you, I like people to start with the tincture of the fresh flowers. Mm. Okay. 
And that's uh, much um, nicer uh, to the body Okay. thing to do. And the chamomile, um, how did you use the chamomile? Uh, I just have that as a tea. I also just recently ordered a chamomile powder, but I sort of stray away from powders, but I thought I'd try mm-hmm. it. <laughs> chamomile is usually used for people who are very nervous and who have a hard time falling asleep because they're so nervous. Mm-hmm. Does that characterize you? Yeah, I have a very active mind and mostly feel like I have sort of a hyper arousal that is happening um, at night. Mm-hmm. And does the chamomile calm that down then? Um, a little bit, but not significantly. Yeah, see, I don't think that arousal is um, nervous. Okay. To me, they're, they're different. So okay. I wouldn't. I would also not think the chamomile would work very well for you. Okay. Skullcap works really, really well for almost everybody if it's tinctured from the fresh plant. Mm-hmm. And tinctured from the dried plant hardly ever works for anybody. Mm. Okay. And just to go back to the valerian for um, a minute, it's very fascinating. It's a... a only plant that I know of where the less useful it is, the stronger it smells. Hmm. Fresh valerian root has no smell at all. Huh. And as the well, compounds mine... are effective in it age out, the root gets that very distinctive dirty sock smell. Right. That's what mine is. Mm-hmm. So... That also indicates that it's not going to be very effective. Hmm. I've uh, I've smelled the. And I take it that your skullcap isn't from fresh skullcap. Okay. Is that right? What'd you say? The skullcap that you used was it a tincture from the fresh skullcap? No, it's it's not one that is grown a lot around here where I am. And here where you are is? I'm in uh, North Carolina, in the very hot area of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Even in hot areas, there are wet areas, and Skullcap likes wet areas. Uh-huh. I have certainly seen it in North Carolina. Okay. Great. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's a summer bloomer. It doesn't mind being hot. It does want a dappled, shaded area and and some dampness. But it's not like North Carolina's a desert. No. No, it's true. Okay. In in fact, the tincture of the fresh skullcap is effective even at three or four drop doses, very small amounts. Okay. But I want to circle back around to something that we started talking about but didn't really get very far. And that is your claim that not sleeping interferes with your life. Uh huh. And I wanted to know how that was so. 
Um, I mean, it, it basically just is that I uh, I sleep very restfully. So, yes, I do sleep, but I wake multiple times in the night. Um, it takes me a long time to go to sleep. And then during the day, I'm very, very exhausted mm-hmm. and really struggle with exhaustion mm-hmm. um, quite often. Mm-hmm. Well, you see, my perspective is that the things that we choose are the things that give us what we really want from life. Even if we think we're struggling against them, even if we think it isn't what we want, that we want to go to sleep, we don't want to have insomnia, but the end result is almost always a result that we really want. Huh. And it sounds to me like what you're saying is that the result is that I think you said you work in an office. Uh Uh-huh. And the people in your office know not to bother you. Uh, I'm actually the only person in my office. <laughs> ah, <So>, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that makes yeah. it fairly easy. <laughs> right. Mm. So you're your own boss. I am, yes. Oh, well, that was odd that uh, that you were leading me on to believe that you had to work in Delphi's. Oh, well, I do keep a pretty good schedule. I often work past five. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but but you could quit any day you wanted to. You could, could, could quit earlier as well. So, again, I'm still at a loss as to how this is interfering with your life if you're the sole employee. Um, well, there's just a lot that has to get done, and I care a lot about my work. So I really like to try and you know, do my best and exhaustion interferes with that and interferes with my social Mm -hmm. life and, you know. Not sleeping doesn't mean you're exhausted. Those two things do not go together. Many, many, many times in my life I have not slept and I have not been exhausted the next day. Hmm. But by choice and because I travel, and it's not unusual for me to not sleep well the first night in a new place. But I don't spend the night telling myself I'm going to be super crank. I'm going to be super exhausted the next day. I say, oh, well, if not sleep, what else can we do? Shall we meditate? Shall we read? Uh Uh-huh. So I don't harass myself and tell myself that I'm wrong for not sleeping. Uh Uh-huh. Or set myself up to have difficulty because of it. And there are many times when I've simply chosen to stay up all night. Huh. Wow. Okay. And I'm not exhausted the next day. Why should I be exhausted? Exhaustion only occurs when I'm fighting something, when I'm struggling against something. Hmm. Yeah. In many shamanic paths, the shamanic apprentice is encouraged not to sleep for nights and nights at a time because it alters consciousness. Right. But nobody ever gives a shamanic apprentice the right to be cranky because of it. Uh Uh-huh. Right. So part of what I'm saying is that the easiest 
part of this to remedy is your attitude about not sleeping. Uh huh. Okay. And especially if you work for yourself, if you really are exhausted, then you actually can lay down for five minutes even if you don't take a nap. Uh Uh-huh. You actually can lean back and close your eyes for five minutes even if you're not going to sleep. Right. Right. Right? Because, you know, Mm -hmm. I work around people, medical people, who are, again, frequently asked to stay up all night. And then to perform at an extremely high level. And they're not given any offs because they didn't get sleep. Uh Uh-huh. Right. And their attitude is, yes, this is part of my job. Part of my job is to stay up all night and and be available. Right. So Uh that's what you've chosen, and you've chosen it for a long, long time can actively choose it. Say, yes, this is what I'm choosing. I'm choosing to not sleep. Okay. Because, again, that gives you then the right to choose something else. If you have insomnia, the fates are pressing their thumb down on you and giving you some horrible disease. If you've chosen not to sleep, well, you can make a different choice if that's what you want. Right. Okay. I can work with that. Yeah. Okay. Great. Good. Good. Well, thanks. You are so welcome. I would also say that um, perhaps you would want to seek out a helper who could help you uh-huh. get in touch with that child who's so frightened and see, right. if, and see if that child um, can be um, alerted to the fact that it's safe now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Green blessings. Good okay. night. Okay. Bye-bye. Green blessings. All right. Yeah. Okay. Next caller is coming from the 440, and this is our last caller with their hand raised for the moment. So if you have a question, please press 1. Hi, Susan. This is Michelle. How are you? Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for offering this call. This has been so educational. So thank you so much. I've been reading a lot of your books and following you for many years. So thank you so much for sharing your knowledge like this. This is great. Um, Just a couple questions for you. I have some surgery planned um, for my hip in September. And, uh, you know, you have trained me well. And I know I really want to get to a place with my body where it's very nourished and ready so it can handle that type of, um, I guess, trauma as I, you know, so I I wanted to ask you, are there any good remedies or or, um, herbs I should be working with right now just to kind of prep my body for uh, before the surgery and after? Well, first of all, let's be clear. It is definitely trauma. It's not maybe. Yes. Yes. Right? Thank you, Like, yes, maybe it's, it's traumatic for people with knives to cut into you? <laughs> yes. Maybe it's traumatic to be <laughs> under anesthesia so deep that you can't feel or move? 
No, mm-hmm. these are not maybes, are they? No. These okay. are definite. You are definitely going to traumatize yourself. Right yes. now, you're drinking your nourishing herbal infusions. I am, yes. I've been working Wonderful. with straw Right metal. now, you are eating a broad and varied diet that includes large amounts of cooked vegetables, especially cooked greens. Okay. Okay. I take it that means no. No, I am. Uh, yes, I'm. I'm doing all that right now. I'm working with uh, dandelion, nettle, and oat straw on a regular basis. So I do take those, uh, you know, infusions. Mm-hmm. And uh, others see you working with the with the five um, infusions because, um, yeah, are you still there? Yes. Okay, good. I just it sounded like some something clicked. Um, Oat straw is wonderful for strengthening the nervous system and strengthening the hormonal system. But comfrey knits together bone and skin and ligament and tendon. Okay. So comfrey leaf is obviously necessary. And it is one of the five herbs that I rotate through. Mm Mm-hmm. And dandelion is nice for the liver, but I do not find it very pleasant to drink. <laughs> no. You? No, but I mix it in. Sometimes I do a dandelion oat straw with some lemon and that kind of. I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, you're doing it because you're drinking an herb I don't, <laughs> you know, use as a regular for infusion because it tastes bad. Why are you giving yourself something that tastes bad? You don't like okay. yourself? I'm trying to be healthy, Susan. Drinking dandelion infusion doesn't make you healthy. It's not something that I have as one of my infusions, is it? Okay, I'll take it off. No. No, it's not. So don't tell me you're trying to be healthy. Okay. Being healthy is drinking stinging nettle by itself and oat straw by itself and comfrey by itself and red clover by itself and linden by itself. That's what being healthy is. Got it. Not mixing them up because you have one that tastes bad. Okay. Right. This is linden like- is a powerful anti-inflammatory. Okay. It's the, as far as I can tell, it's one of the world's best anti-inflammatories, certainly a ton better than turmeric. Mm, okay. And certainly, you know, something that I want in my regular life. Now, let me ask you this. Did you, yeah. did you take rice for dinner? Did I? No, I did not. Mm-hmm. Do you ever take rice for dinner? Uh, I do, yeah. I actually eat Most a lot people rice. eat rice for dinner, don't they? No. Yes. They don't take it. They eat it. Yes. Right? Yes. Most people eat rice. Yes. They don't take rice. You don't take infusions. You drink them. Yes, they do. They're not drugs. You don't take them. You told me you took those infusions, and what I'm saying is you don't take them. You drink them. Yes, I do. Yeah, okay. It, to me, it's very important. No, this is great. Thank you. Yeah. 
very, very important that I, I drink my nourishing herbal infusions. It's what I drink. Mm-hmm. Right. There are yeah. things that I take, but I take those as specific remedies. But the nourishing herbal infusions are nourishment. And I like to distinguish between the food that I'm using and something that I am actually taking for some particular oh. reason. So certainly oat straw is nice to have. Nettle builds the blood. Um, it really strengthens the adrenals, really helps you get ready for surgery. Comfrey okay. makes the tissue strong and flexible beforehand and helps you heal very quickly afterwards. Linden is a wonderful anti-inflammatory, um, causing a reduction in inflammation before and after the surgery as well. Mm-hmm. And red okay. clover is a plant that has been used worldwide to cure almost everything. Okay. Do you have a do you have a problem with red clover or nettle or comfrey? No, I have actually nettle and red clover on hand right now. I've just been really good friends with oat straw lately. <laughs> but uh I can definitely work work these other ones in for sure. And there is a, I, what I like to do is rotate so that I have one herb and okay. then the next day another herb. Okay. I will do that then. That's great. And I can, I mean, I know these like are more of the nourishing infusion. So you recommending I just start that now and then I can continue this as I'm in recovery. Correct. There's not really an, a, uh, one of the items that I shouldn't take. Correct. One of the herbs. After when they surgery. say that there are herbs you shouldn't take before surgery, what they mean is you shouldn't take herbs in capsules. Okay. Any herb in a tea or an infusion or even a tincture is perfectly safe to take right okay. up until the surgery is done. Oh, good to know. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. This is so helpful, and I will definitely start this regimen. Thank you so much. One you other are question. welcome. Green blessings. Good night. One other quick question. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you have do you have a my do, little dog also? I was just wondering, um, do you have any like one or two herbs that you recommend that dogs take or are or, or, or we will incorporate into his meals for wellness? Dogs are carnivores. I know. Dogs tend to eat plants when they want to throw up. Yes. Or they eat plants that have been pre-digested from the stomach of an animal that they brought down? Yes. So no need. For That's extra. a dog's relationship to plants. Yes. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Have a great evening. Green blessings. Good night. Thank you. It always makes me smile when I put uh, some of the stew or something in my dog's dish with his food, and he will inevitably eat around all of the vegetables and just leave, like, little chunks of vegetables but <laughs> eat everything else. The yes, next vegetables from- makes no sense at all to a dog. They yeah. also have, you know, in order to digest uh, plant matter, you need to have a very long digestive tract like a goat does or like a human does. And the dog has a very short digestive tract. It's not set up to get anything out of vegetables. Yeah, out of plants, in fact. Okay. 
Okay, so we've got what, about 20 minutes, a little less than 20 minutes, 18 minutes, something like that? Yes, and if anyone has a question, um, please press 1. And so are you, are you there in the Sharing that with us. Yes, I'm calling today. There are so many things I would love to talk to you about, but I know we're on a short time. And uh, my question for tonight is I have had this beautiful volunteer in one of my flower beds of prickly lettuce, and I'm wondering if you have ever tinctured it or used it as a tea and uh, what. she may be an ally for. The lettuces are very interesting. There's a variety of wild as well as cultivated lettuces, but they all have a white sap. And that white sap contains alkaloids, which are extremely bitter. Certain wild lettuces have alkaloids in their sap that basically act like opium, which, of course, the poppy also has a white sap. I have been told that Native people would prepare wild lettuce sap in much the same way that someone in Afghanistan might prepare poppy sap. So Mm. poppy sap is turned into opium by slitting the seed pod so that the white latex exudes and then using your fingers to wipe that white latex off the seed pod. And as you continue to do that, it builds up on your fingers as a kind of black residue. And then you rub your fingers together until it comes away in small balls. Okay. And so you could do the same thing with a wild lettuce, that you score the stalk of it the white sap seeps out. You wipe it up with your fingers. It's very sticky. And you keep doing that until it oxidizes to black, and then you roll it up in a ball. And then it is usually smoked, like opium, mm-hmm. or dissolved in hot water. Let me say again, it is very bitter. Mm-hmm. Extremely bitter, extraordinarily bitter. And the more opium-like alkaloids it has, the more bitter it will be. There are, on the other end of the spectrum, lettuces, even wild lettuces, that have very little of these alkaloids. And those are actually edible, just like lettuce. Okay. You've grown lettuce and you've let your lettuce bolt. You know that once the lettuce has started to flower, it's going to be bitter, even if it's a nice cultivated sweet lettuce. 
So if we're going to eat wild lettuce, again, we want to do that before the plant sends up a flower stalk. Okay. Which can be very difficult for people because, of course, most plants are identified by their flowers. So sometimes eating wild lettuce is a two-year project. You identify it the first year by the flowers, and then the second year you you find it when it's not flowering because you've been watching it during that whole first year. And some wild lettuces are annuals, some are perennials, and some are biennials. Okay. <clears throat> this one is flowering now. Uh, right. The little yellow flowers. And, little uh, yellow flowers. Yes. I lots wanted of them. To, I, yes, lots of them. Asteraceae family, I assume. You are um, correct. Okay. <clears throat> I was wondering if it would be worthwhile to tinction and use pain management. The sap would be what would be tinctured, and you would taste okay. it to see how bitter it is. Okay, okay. And that would give you some indication of the strength of the strength that you would get. I don't know of anyone who's used it as a tincture. Okay. That's not to say that you couldn't. Okay. All right. I have read a little about it, but I have never talked talk to anybody directly that's used it, so I definitely wanted to reach out to you for your advice. Since yeah, and again, the it, great, thing about, be kind of great thing about herbal medicine, it's very hard to do it wrong. Suppose you decide you are going to make a tincture of wild lettuce, and you do, and you decide it's too bitter to use, or you decide it doesn't work. Well, golly gee, you didn't hurt anybody or anything. True. So go okay. ahead and experiment. Why not? What fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for that encouragement. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for your question. If I could just share one quick thing I thought that you might find interesting. When I first um, started on this journey and I was doing some meditative work on a new moon, I had yet to meet um, Hypericum perforatum in person and uh, was on this meditation with lots of goddesses that came around, which was a first for me too, instead of just one at a time. And later that night, I had a dream that <clears throat> Ariadne came to me with Hypericum and said, this is what we give to you so we don't remember, so you don't remember your last life and make the same mistakes over and over again. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that. If any, I'm going to repeat what I think you said, and please tell me where I got it wrong because it doesn't make much sense to me. Okay. Ari Adney came to you with St. Joan's Wort and said, This is what we give you so you don't remember your last life and so you make the same mistakes again. So you don't make the same mistakes Well, again. if you don't remember your last life, how do you not make the same mistakes again? I don't know. That's why I'm so perplexed. I felt like it was... Doesn't make sense, does um, it? No. Either you remember like, your life and you don't make the mistakes, or you don't remember and you make the mistakes. Does The it, two statements don't seem to go to me. So obviously I'm not going to be able to figure out what she said any more than you are. You're going to have to ask her. I understand. I felt like it was kind of 
uh, we don't want you to make the same decisions based on a decision you made in your last life. So, yes, I will go to her and ask again. But thank you okay. for your However, advice. let me say kind of over all of this, it is impossible to make mistakes. Okay. I, I do not trust any entity who tells you you have made a mistake. True. Okay. I'm with so you. So I would not trust that that this was a true sending, because that's not how sendings talk. I understand. Thank you for that. You are welcome. I would say that this is more some shimmer of your subconscious, that that you are worried that, that you have made mistakes, and that if you um, remember them, that you will somehow make them again. Um, but that's that's not how life works. Life is not a test. Um, it, it, we're not being graded. And mm-hmm. somebody once said to me, you know, when you die, they're going to sit you down and tell you, you know, all the wrong things you did. I said, no, 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 no. When you die, they're going to show you how all the things you thought were the wrong things were the exact things you should have done right then. Yes, I I feel that completely. Yeah. So I th- I think that that um, I don't real actually want to encourage you to get in touch with whatever this entity is. Just say thank you very much. I'll mm-hmm. take that into consideration. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm talking to others right now. Thank you. In fact, come on, I'm an Aquarius. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> if somebody can't get a body, they got no right to talk to me. Yes. Okay. No, I mean step one: get a body, incarnate, get down here and talk to me. Don't just talk yes. to me. Some cloud? What? You can't even get a body? Why should I take your advice? I love it. I'm so glad that I asked you. Thank you. That, that I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Thank you very much. You are welcome. Green blessings. <laughs> Green blessings to you both. Thank you. All right. Um, we don't have any more questions right now. If you have a question for Susan, please press hey, 1. Hey, everything in the world is perfect, Ray. Life is good. <laughs> and there are some uh, questions off of face. Oh, actually, somebody just queued up with a question, so we'll go to that. And it's a private number. <coughs> Yes, hi, Susan, um, Rebecca. Thanks so much for taking my call. Um, I missed both, but um, I'm so happy to get us my question, even though I know it's perhaps done. Um, I'm also, like, at least one other caller late with my cycle, although I'm a bunch older. And um, for some reason, it's never happened to me before. And I was wondering, <clears throat> excuse me, if you had any thoughts. I think very much enjoy your wonderful events. And um, I'm because I've had a lot of stress and a lot of when I do that possibly lead to that. You know, you're breaking up in such a way that I'm having a really hard time following the discussion. I don't truthfully even know at this point what it is you're talking about. Oh, okay. 
<clears throat> I wonder, should I call back? Because um, I can call from my cell phone. I'm, I'm calling you from Skype right now. Well, so long as I can understand what you're saying, you don't have to call back. Okay. Um, so I guess... Is, what is it that's concerning you? Well, <clears throat> I'm in my mid-40s, and for the first time, my cycle has... Uh, been missing. I'm not pregnant because uh, I I was out of the country. Hello, welcome menopause. Yeah. So um, I was wondering. I'm two weeks late. You know if I should try to get off. If I should let it go. Um, I do. I do your infusion. Yeah, there isn't anything that you can take that will make you menstruate when you're two weeks late. You're not going to menstruate this month. Okay. Menstruation isn't just something that happens. There has to be weeks of building up the endometrium in order for you to menstruate. That has not happened. Okay. There's no herb on the planet that could make you menstruate because you don't have an endometrium built up to shed. Okay. You could very likely menstruate at the time that you would have your next period, which I guess would be in about two weeks or so. Yeah. Okay. There's nothing unhealthy about skipping a period. Sure. And so long as you're eating a good diet that isn't restricted and drinking your nourishing herbal infusions and moving around in your body, not just sitting still in front of the TV all the time, um, then there's usually nothing that really is going to be problematic. Okay. It is menopause. You might want to get my menopause book. Yeah, I just actually did. I, I haven't. I just got it like two days ago. So I'm. I'm Excellent. Start Excellent. It starts out. It says, "If you're asking yourself, could this be menopause?" The answer is yes. <laughs> I'm sure. Right. So as soon as you have that first, oh, is this it? Then yes, the answer is yes. And it's a ten-year period. I've known women who have actually gone uh, two or even three years without a single period, and then started bleeding again very regularly. Well, and the reason, <clears throat> the second part of my question is, um, I still have this dream of having a second baby, which maybe sounds crazy, but it's just in my heart. And um, I know in your book, you know, that's the first thing I, I look, and I know you say it's still possible. Um, and I don't know what my question is. Um, well, it's definitely still yeah. possible. And generally, once you're past the age of 40, your genetic material and his genetic material, if he's of a similar age, is not going to be top-notch anymore. And so what's going to happen is that your body is going to decide which conception it's willing to put a lot of energy and material into, and that means that there will be miscarriages. Yeah. And so what I suggest to women who are in their 40s, who want to have a child, is start now. It could take two or three years until 
you get a conception that your body is willing to carry. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I've been really working on, I mean, not really working on, I mean, I've been really enjoying, I should say, the um, the nettle and, I mean, all of them, all of them, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they're just, and I mean, I, I never would realize, you know, a few years ago when somebody said, oh, linden flower or oat straw would taste good to me, but they're like sweets to me. It sounds crazy, I know, but um, I just love them so much. Um, no, it doesn't so, sound crazy at all. I've heard thousands of people say the yeah. same thing. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So yeah, I definitely um that gives me hope because um I've been kind of sad about that part, but um I I know I I I just need to keep moving forward. Um so thank you so much for your encouragement with that. Um The other thing if you don't and mind, there's a husband, wonderful book written by a woman of your age entitled Warm Bottles Hot Flashes. Oh, never heard of it. Talking about, you know, being a, a mom in the midst of her menopause and what that was like for her. Yeah, that's great. Um, so my question I was going to ask you, you know, all these wonderful herbs I'm using in my infusions, um, for good or bad, I I pour them on, not pour them, but I after I take out the, um, the leaves um, before I drink it all, I've started to pour some of the leaves after they're dry a little bit on my on my garden, um, do you think that's okay to do? Thank, your garden thanks you. Okay. Okay, that's great. That's awesome. Yes, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to do for your garden. Okay, well that's good because I I, I haven't been able to find anything about using, you know, the the used herbs online. I just was following my heart, and I thought, oh, at least I try, and if I ever get a chance to ask you, I'll ask you. Yeah, so, I take it you um, don't have a compost pile. Well, we live in a townhouse, um, so we have a compost pile, but that's in the garden plot that I rent that's like 15 minutes from our house. Um, so I, I mostly do it here, but I sometimes do take it there, too. Mm-hmm. But now that you're telling me this, I'm going to make sure I do it with everything that I that I do. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. You know what I do is I keep a um, tightly lidded bucket in the kitchen. Um, I'm not running out to my compost pile every day. I take my yeah. stuff out to my compost pile every three or four weeks. Wow. Yeah, that's a great idea. Then I can just take the bucket to the to the um, you know I, right now I just whenever I have something I get in the bag. I mean I do that with food scraps too. I take it over there because it's a very large pile, you know, and the and the and the And if whatever. I'm in a place if I'm in a place where I can't do that, what I uh, will do is I'll fill a baggie and I chuck it in the freezer. Wow. And then I just add it to the compost pile frozen. It's more broken down. It's gonna compost faster since it's been frozen. Wow, what a great idea, Susan. Thank you so much. You're welcome. That's awesome. I'm uh, I am a devotee of composting and have composted. Uh, it feels like all of my life. It probably hasn't really been all of my life. It's probably only been 50 years, but that's that's a lot of life that I yeah, have. Yeah, of having large enough space where it's allowed and nobody will complain. Um, so maybe our future home, hopefully, will I will be able to do that too. There you go. How wonderful. In the proper way. 
Thanks so much for your call. Thank you. Green blessings. Green blessings. Good night. And a big welcome to Peggy Ayers. Her new book, Ancient Spirit Rising, examines the loss of our vital ethnocultural connection to tribe and to place. She talks about why there is a trend to borrow identities from other cultures. I'm curious about that. I haven't seen that happening. Join us for a provocative and informative discussion on white privilege, cultural appropriation, and how modern spirituality has become a giant consumer marketplace. Peggy's research has uncovered improved strategies for intercultural competency with Turtle Island First Nations through social justice solidarity, anti-oppression work, allyship, and reconciliation. In the paradigm shift today to earth-connected, sustainable community, in a fascinating twist, Ancient Spirit Rising reframes the pagan and goddess spirituality movements as a response to the directive from indigenous elders to recover our own ancestral wisdom. From the wealth of resources available today, we can restore our ecocentric worldview and find an authentic self-identity from our own heritages in old Europe using the timeless values of indigenous mind as a model. Come back to your roots, says Peggy Ayers. Welcome to the show, Peggy. Oh, hi, Susan. Thank you so much for inviting me. You are so (laughs) welcome. It's not easy to write a book, and it's always interesting to um, find out how you were inspired or what moved you to write a book, and perhaps I should even say, starting a book or even writing a book is not nearly as hard as finishing it. Yeah. And so I often so. like to ask, what inspired you to finish it? Yeah, it's a huge process, and uh, you know, you don't really know you have a book until you've written, you know, so many hundred thousand words, and then you go, oh, there's a book. <laughs> but you know, prior to that, you just work away, right? Um, so, no, yeah, that, I was really that's not how I work, but his... that's okay. No, I know what what book I'm writing and that it's going to be a book, and it's very different in my mind from an article. Yes, exactly. And usually and I, I have at least process, kind of an outline took... to the book, which um, I often write an article without any outline at all. So oh, what it, what inspired you to start or what inspired you to finally say, this is it, it's done, it's going to be published now? Yeah, it was quite a, a quite pa- passionate journey because I'd been very inspired. I live near a territory where there's quite a few First Nations in my own in my own backyard, and I had become aware of the phenomena of cultural appropriation. So I'm quite lucky, though, to go to a lot of uh, First Nations conferences in the area. I'm up here in Canada, near Peterborough. It's outside of Toronto. Uh, the community is called Nogo Jiwanong. And I went to a conference one time, and one of the elders said something that I found really interesting. He said um, that everyone needs to return to their own indigenous knowledge. 
And, you know, that really got me thinking. And I went on this huge journey of discovery because I'm thinking, well, why are these white people, you know, taking on a Native identity? And it's sort of a New Age phenomena that I was seeing, you know, in the communities here in Canada and who are these so white perhaps, people that were perhaps that's a Canadian thing that Canadians are taking yeah. on native cities? I don't yeah, find I do not find that here. a thing among the Americans that I know. Now I have been adopted into the Wolf Clan of the Great Peaceful Nations, and mm-hmm. I do have a native name, but I am not in any way taking on a native identity. And very yeah, few, I know there's few people quite even a fine know that line. name. And I yeah, know a, a, a number of people who have used their names that they were given ceremoniously, but they're not pretending to be Native Americans by using those names. Yeah, I know. So I'm not I think we're exactly talking... sure what you mean by people who are appropriating a culture. Yeah, we're talking about the people that, you know, they really form a Native identity. They're selling a sweat lodge ceremony. They are using their native name, and they're even charging money in some cases. So, you know, they're oh, yeah. wearing a I native mean, I, outfit. I just I don't see anything like that in the United States. That's interesting, and I don't spend that much time in Canada, especially mm. northern Canada. So there's Canadians who are charging for sacred ceremonies. It happens in the U.S. too. It's huge in the U.S. Well, <laughs> it happens a lot. Not in the East Coast. Maybe out in the West. Okay, well, yeah, there's uh, a lot of people. I write a blog, and, you know, I didn't want to name names, but I actually did at one point with uh, cultural appropriation because there's some pretty well-known people that are pretending they're native. So they have a funny word for it. It's called a pretendian. But it's quite a phenomenon, you know, and it really speaks you to know, our I wife. have to admit that I have met people who were considered to be, you know, icons of mm-hmm. Native American and who were full-blooded Native American, and they were pretending to be natives. Well, how's that possible? <laughs> they were natives. Because their natives. upbringing was Christian, and what they were putting oh. out is Christianity with feathers stuck in it. Oh, that's interesting. No, that's something we don't have in Canada. It's, it's a different. You do. You have it all <laughs> over in Canada. Anytime mm-hmm. anybody talks about sin, they're a Christian. Anytime anybody says they're a sinner, they're a Christian. Wow. Yeah, quite a key word that would be. Yeah, yeah. Kind of sad, and I've but, been all yeah. over Canada and Native people there, and I hear sin and sinner a lot, and that's Christianity. That is not yeah. Native American spirituality. Yeah, it's quite an overlay, isn't it? So then who's appropriating what? Well, it's white people that don't know who they're, what their own identity is, right? So they're really so drawn Native to Native spirituality. And this off as Native spirituality, and it has nothing to do with Native spirituality. And I'm talking about big people. I'm talking about black elk. Right, he was native. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was native, and so, everything he said was from Christianity. Mm, well, yeah, there's been a bit of a debate. I was at a but... peace elders gathering, and there was a young man there who had made a beautiful, sacred staff, and there were mm-hmm. eagle feathers on it. And he was passing it around the group because he wanted each of our hands to be on his staff. And mm-hmm. at one black elk got up, and he said, this staff is no longer sacred. One of the eagle feathers touched the ground. Mm-hmm. And I got up in my chair and I said, earth-based religions, earth-based religions. It touched the earth and now you're saying it's not sacred. That is woman-hating and earth-hating and that's Christianity. Um, not exactly, but... It is. You have an interesting You take this right back, and I mean back, 
a thousand years or two thousand years, you will not find this in native spirituality. Well, it's something in the Anishinaabe tradition too. If the eagle feather happens to touch the ground at a powwow, they will take it out of commission, like it's been despiritualized. This is not native spirituality. This is Christianity. No, it's something from their ancient tradition. It's it goes not ancient. I'm sorry. Years. I know women, native women, and they know it's not ancient, and I For know it's not years. ancient. To say that the earth makes something non-spiritual, can't we see through this and see that there's no native person who would claim that it's not spiritual anymore if it touches the earth? Come on. Mm-hmm. The essence of native spirituality, as I have experienced it all over this planet, is honor the earth. The earth is our mother. Everything comes from the earth. Yeah, and I think we have to respect different interpretations and different traditions. And sometimes that tradition has come through for millennia. And who are we to argue with it, right? And there's been a colonial overlay, certainly, but I don't I think I can argue with really anything question. I want to. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, my grandfather was pushed out of Russia. I don't have mm-hmm. a homeland to go back to. My right. roots were torn up. Do you, have, do you feel any attraction to Russia at all? No. Oh, Why would I want to go there? My grandfather left there because he would have been killed. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go back to an abuser. Yeah, there's been a lot of trauma in Europe. Right. So that's kind of our legacy, isn't so it? So as far as I'm concerned, where I live is right here on Turtle Island. Yeah, we come from very traumatic situations in Europe, but it's part of our history, too. I mean, we do have a connection still to these places. It's kind of a deep DNA connection. It's we have magic like in myself a witch too. because witch is the European word for shaman. Yeah, there's probably some beautiful traditions in your own culture if you look into it, if you study. We have an own culture. My father's family is from Finland, Russia, and Poland. My mother's family is from Switzerland, Alsace, Mm -hmm. Spain, and some other country. I do not have a culture. You're wrong. Wow. I don't have a culture. My culture is got a spirituality right here on Turtle Island. That's Mm -hmm. my culture yeah well, i we do not have roots to go back places. to right i have my own roots that i've put down right here Mm-hmm. yeah we've been separated from our european traditions you know but a lot of people are you know if you only have one or two heritages it isn't that difficult to reclaim it and i think a lot of people are involved in that work right now because it's a good way to not appropriate from first nations when you find the treasures if it's in your own heritage, you know, we have so many wonderful traditions. With the Internet, we have access to so many resources now. There's no reason why we really can't, you know, look into it if you have one or two. I mean, with your case, you've got, like, so many in, in the spectrum, all these different traditions. But if you only have, like, one or two, it makes it a lot simpler. Like, in my case, it's Scottish no, I don't, but I don't think it so. does because you're not in that place and your spirituality is, is, to my mind, a spirituality of place. And so uh, it's mm-hmm. almost an appropriation of your ancestors. Well, no, it's an ambiguity, right? Because here we are so in Turtle Island. To take Island, them out of their place, you know, and to well, say, well, we're no. to this other I, place. But what is the difference? How are you using cultural appropriation? And there's certainly there is cultural sharing, isn't there? 
Uh, yeah, but it's based on a systemic definition. You see, we can't really go with opinion. Like, you can have an opinion about all this stuff, but there's really systemic issues. There's a colonizer relationship and a colonized. So here on Turtle Island, the colonizer has been the European people that came, and they colonized or tried to genocide the First Nations. So there's always been an imbalance, like a power imbalance here on Turtle Island, right? So that's where cultural appropriation You're saying happen. that there were no Native people who tried to kill white people? It was all. It was very much one-sided because we live in a white supremacist world. Telling me world that now. Native people did not make war on entire villages of white people and destroy them. You're telling me that didn't happen. Yeah, there was warfare for sure, but it's a, it's a lot of warfare. Takeover. If you go back and read the early records, there was a huge number mm-hmm. of white deaths that were caused directly by the Native people, and I'm not having an opinion about whether that's okay or not okay. Well, they were fighting back to protect It's not quite that unbalanced. Mm -hmm. There's a series of two books. One is um, 1491 and 1493, I think so. And I don't remember the author right now, but they're really stunning books because they really talk about what was going on in North America before this part of the European contact. And we know that there was quite a bit of contact out on the West Coast before this part that we're talking about here on the East Coast. Yeah, and I think the Europeans had quite a few advantages, right? They had the weapons. They had that organized warfare. They also had a systemic agenda. They had a huge military. Plus, they had the capitalists. They were smart enough to know how to do metal, and the Native people here hadn't gotten there. So that was why we now live in a European culture, willing, right? We're not living we're in a First Nations culture. We're willing to trade any of theirs for our metal. Mm-hmm. They were willing to trade, and they did. Yeah, but we live in a colonial society, right? This is a European world we're living in. And a patriarchal society, too, but we're not allowed to even say patriarchy anymore. Oh, really? Oh, I use it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So, you know, you know, many years ago, I was invited to teach at a conference in Ontario. Oh, cool. And, yeah. And it was half Native women and half white women who were teaching. Oh, that's a good balance. And there, were, and there was trouble brewing from the moment we got together. Because mm-hmm. one of the Native women had had her apprentices cut some withies for a lodge. And one of the white women stepped over them because they were laying on the ground. And she was just mm-hmm. walking along, and they were in the path, and she stepped over them. And, of course, this was horrible and disrespectful. And they well, I guess they should have communicated and, their and cultural protocols. Contamin- they became contaminated because somebody stepped over them. Mm, which they already were communicating. Is, mm-hmm. Yeah, already is like, what? How can something become contaminated? Yeah, like we can't make assumptions, right? I'm we have to be really careful. I'm not talking about assumptions. I'm talking about Christianity. Yeah, and we I've can't never make met assumptions. Any native group that thinks about contamination in that way—that's Christianity. Anyhow, she, those were all thrown away. They crashed, <laughs> and she sent her apprentices out to get some other ones. And everybody mm-hmm. was told not to step over them, so nobody stepped over them or even around them. But one woman who's very much in, in, into this and really, you know, honored this, tied a tobacco tie under one of the poles. Well, that was it. Now they were even further degraded and desacralized, right? Mm. Because well, I think the point is to not move into a cultural a practice that you're not familiar with. 
and it, and you have and to it, respect the boundaries, well, she, and you have to sort was, of take the lead of the other people. She was. I've tied plenty of tobacco ties for lodges. Mm-hmm. Tobacco ties are tied in lodges, and especially throughout Canada. And yeah, I think so it's like taking the lead of the First Nations group, though. Except that she would be welcome. The only assumption she was making was that she would be welcome, and she wasn't. Well, she probably would like have. It really looked of... like the whole thing was going to fall apart, and the organizers did a brilliant thing. They showed a movie called The Burning Times. Have you seen it? Oh, yeah, I have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Made by Canadian. Yes, it's an amazing movie. And when the lights came up after that movie, the Native women turned and looked at the white women, and we realized that colonialism is nothing compared to patriarchy. Well, it's the same thing, actually. It is part and parcel of the same thing. In North America, it's pretty much connected as the same. You have found some new ways for us to... um, to restore our worldview. Uh, yeah, so I'm sort of uh, suggesting to people that are non-native, we are from European heritage, European DNA, European ancestry. We've been here for a couple of centuries. We're still new to Turtle Island. First Nations people have been here for maybe 40,000 years, so they've been here a little longer than we have. So it's all that ambiguity about, you know, do we respect um, you know, the lands we live on, how do we show that respect to First Nations and the intercultural protocols that kind of go with that. And it all speaks to our own identity as white people. How do we, you know, find an authentic way of being that can be also some expression of indigeneity? So why not look to our own European roots? There's treasures, you know, all across Europe that we can sort of access and uh, recreate here on Turtle Island to the best of our ability. Some of the landscapes are similar. Some of them are, we have to be very careful. But um, a lot of people are doing this work, and it seems to be working out really well, because when we're told by the elders we all have our own indigenous knowledge, that's what they're talking about. They're saying that it's in Europe that we're going to go find it, and so why not? That is sort of the premise of my whole book, those it's uh, 420 pages. There's a lot of research. It took me three years to write it because I really wanted to delve into this whole thing with white identity. Why were people, you know, taking on a native name from the Blackfoot or the Cree or the Lakota? It just seemed kind of psychotic to me and very uh, macabre because we're the same people that have been, you know, putting so much harm onto First Nations. We belong to that colonizer group. You know, even though we're spiritual, we're new age, we're healers, we're herbalists, we're still part of that dominant uh, culture, right? I'm not going to agree. Yeah, we are, because it's a systemic imbalance. The, col- the colonists came here, and it was like a massive takeover. And there were millions and millions of indigenous people that were killed, not to mention the Africans that were enslaved. So this is a white... If you responsibility. Believe. You know, we didn't do the genocide ourselves, but it's our generation that kind of has to fix up the mess or at least take responsibility for the mess <clears throat> because racism is still happening. And it's all around us. So if, if our generation doesn't look at that clearly, we're like, okay, I can see how I even carry a bit of racism and this other white person does, even though they're like a new age healer. They're still like a little bit racist. There's no inclusivity in their festival or whatever. So you know, there's a lot of work that we can do just to be aware and um, 
you know, help each other through it. Because we want to get to that place where we're, you know, strong in our own identity. We don't have to take or pretend from any other, you know, First Nation or go down to the Amazon or, you know, learning is fine. If you want to really learn about First Nations, that's excellent. But it's um, a dividing line when you actually take on the identity. Like having a drum and doing smudging. My voice is really gone tonight. I was going to cancel this interview because I... My voice is, like, really shot. Uh, I need some herbal elixir right about now. But, um, yeah, my throat is really sore today. I can hardly speak today. But, like, um, just to uh, be really aware of these issues, and it does come up, you know, from time to time in our work, and, you know, to try to move forward and do the best we can to not, not appropriate because there are people doing that. And First Nations are telling us, please don't do that. <laughs> you know, it hurts them. It invisibilizes their identity, and they're struggling still. Like, it's only been the last 10 or 20 years that First Nations people have sort of come out of the dark ages, I call it. You know, now there's engineers and peop- you know, First Nations with PhDs, and this is all fairly recent. It's only been in 20 years, right? So they're going through this huge healing right now, and we have to respect that because um, – in another 20 years, like, they'll be in a much stronger place. And it's sort of this coming together of cultures because we all want to have that earth connection. We all want that nature spirituality. We just have to do it in a good way without, yes, you know, continuing was... the harm because we can continue the harm of colonization without even realizing it. So we have to be careful. That the spirituality of place is actually about place. Yeah, it's about place. But mm-hmm. my my spiritual place is where I live. It's where I and live, you, not where right. my ancestors live. It's where I live. Now I understand throughout, throughout throughout most of human history that I would have lived on the same land as my ancestors did, but that's no longer true. I know it's a very it's tragic, really, when you think about it. <laughs> so how do we end up in Canada am, in the USA? Am is I this a empire building project because of capitalism? Uh, I mean, that's nothing to be proud of, right? Like, we're here kind of under false pretenses. We were taken away, in most cases, through the Industrial Revolution and sort of, oh, you have to migrate, or they got us here, oh, there's free land. You know, you have to look at all these reasons why white people are actually here on the continent. Like, 90% of the reasons are not honorable. Like, you know, people think they're proud of this history, but I think we have to look at it with um, a critical lens. You know, there's a lot of unpacking to do. Tell us more about how to get your new book. And sort of coming here and, like, really not understanding First Nations people and not wanting to live in harmony with them. You know, what was that? It's, <laughs> right? it's not good. Uh, it's not <laughs> I'm asking you to tell us. We we just have a few more minutes left of our show, and so I'm asking you to tell people how to get your book. Oh, thanks, Susan. Okay, so I have a website. It's www.stonecirclepress.com, and my book is also available on Amazon, and it's called Ancient Spirit Rising, and I have a lot of blogs and so on also on my website, which is uh, Stone Circle Press. Stone Circle Press is where people can go to find you and to find out about your book, Ancient Spirit Rising. Any and, plans to come to Canada in the near future um, for you? Well, I have a new book coming out this fall. Yeah. So I'm 
staying home a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. so any specific plans to come up to Canada? But I oh, it'd be amazing. Frequently, and I, I really enjoy my time. In fact, I lived in Canada for some time. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. A variety of different provinces. I've lived in uh, British Columbia, and I've lived in Saskatchewan, and I've lived in Ontario. Oh, wow. I'd love to meet you if you're ever here to her- an herbal conference. It'd be amazing to actually get to meet you. It would. It would be a delight to meet you as well. I so appreciate the work that you are doing in reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. Thank and to you, me, Susan. The cloak of the ancients is com- comprised of um, all of those threads, new and old, from all over the world. So thank you so much for what you're doing there. And thank, thank you, you for your work. <laughs> you, Rebecca, for uh, being with me to restore herbal medicine as people's medicine. And I'm going to give you, Peggy, this very last minute of the show here. What would you like to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's listening? I just think uh, in these times like of massive change and, you know, climate upheaval, you know, severe storms, and what you were speaking about earlier, just that love of the land and getting to know your local ecosystem um, you know, encouraging others to fall in love with the land and the plants. Your whole life has been dedicated to the green world. I just really think that's amazing. You're such an inspiration. But, you know, if we can just keep that going and really inspire, continue inspiring more and more people, you know, we're all eventually going to get there. You know, got to connect with the earth and love the earth. Connect with the earth and love the earth. What a wonderful message and such a heartfelt message, I'm sure. That everyone <laughs> feeling that and remembering Peggy P that's P E G I Iers like an I with R S on the end E Y E R S Peggy Iers in her book Ancient Spirit Rising and give us your website one last time. Okay, Susan, thank you. It's www.stonecirclepress all one word. Green blessings and good night, everybody. Thank you so much, Peggy. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good night.